I'll be reading from 2 John today. The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be in us, be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have what we have worked worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. To the children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. Well, friends, we're going to spend a bit of time just trying to work out what, what's that saying, what's that all about. But I might get you guys to start the work. Um, why don't you turn to your neighbour, just take a minute, and just kind of share what's something that stuck out from that, that little reading? What kind of themes, what kind of words, what jumped out to you? I'll give you a minute to turn to your neighbour. Okay, that might be... Long enough for a little taster? Is anyone brave enough to shout out what, what sorts of words or things stuck out to your little group? Your children? Yeah, the, the elect lady and her children. What's going on there? Yeah. What else stuck out to people? Yeah, don't share in their wicked work. How do we make sure we don't do that? And what is their wicked work? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few, a few rich kind of themes in here, um, big words, uh, that, that make us think there's something here that I haven't quite got my fingers into. There's a crack that I want to get my fingers into to understand more of what's going on. Uh, and one of the words when I was reading it that jumped out to me uh, was the word antichrist. Do you want to just click over? Should be going. There we go. We're back. Um, the word antichrist appeared there, and that's one that always jumps out to me. It's just one of those kind of odd words that um, I'm never quite sure what to do. It seems like a word that, that fits well in Hollywood with uh, movies, with the big imagination of the, the angels and the demons, and um, I think there was a movie called End of Days with Schwarzenegger in where he had to get some kind of magic gun to, to kill antichrist. But we've got this... Um, I think as we come to it, I think we can either go down the rabbit hole with this sort of stuff and really chase it and Google it and get obsessed with angels and demons, or we can just avoid it and think, I hope that doesn't come up when my friends are over, because what do you do with it? Um, But the responses uh, over these sorts of things uh, are both quite similar. Um, If we see something in the Bible that we can either get obsessed with or uh, shy away from, both of them kind of shut their ears to what is God actually saying, what 
What is the problem here? What is the wicked work that's going on? What, what is the Antichrist doing? And how does the elect lady and her children kind of factor into it? What does God say about these things? And so I might just pray for us again. And then we're going to go a bit deeper and see what is the problem that 2 John is helping to address. Let's pray for clear minds. Um, our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you've kept for us this letter of John. We thank you that you gave him uh, your words to say, to address the needs of your people back then, uh, but you know that we have a similar need today, and you know that John's words would be helpful, and so you've kept them as your word to us. Help us to read with clear minds uh, and to understand how it applies. Amen. Well, I'm really just using Antichrist as a way into this letter as a whole. And so let's start by asking, where does Antichrist feature in 2 John? It's, it's there in the second half, isn't it, where we're told not to be deceived. Look in verse 7. Uh, in verse 7 he says, Many deceivers who did not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Now there's a few things we're going to draw on there. The first thing, look at that. There are, there are many Antichrists, aren't there? Any such person is the deceiver and Antichrist. So it's not just one Antichrist, there's, there's loads of them. But secondly, what's the essence of the Antichrist? It's being a deceiver. It's someone who's opposed to the truth, who twists the truth. But what truth in particular? Well, as we dig into John, the truth that he wants to push is that Christ has come. The Christ has come in the flesh. And guess what? It's the man, Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what 2 John uh, is kind of built upon. This was big news in those days. Uh, still kind of big news today. But back when John was writing this, this was the news that was tearing its way across the known world. His followers went around everywhere telling people, the Christ has come. We know him. We know the guy. It's Jesus. For example, if you look in the book of Acts in chapter 5, it says that day after day... In the temple courts and from house to house, they, that's kind of Jesus' disciples, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. We found the Christ. Or in chapter 9, Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. You see, the Christ, as you know, is a long-expected figure from the Old Testament. Uh, God had promised to send this Christ who would be his king, who would establish God's kingdom over the whole earth, and he would even rise from the dead. And the news is that this Christ has come and we know the guy. It's Jesus. Think of the implications, though. This is where it starts to get into conflict zone. The implications are if Jesus is the promised king of God to reign over the whole earth, then he is worthy of your life. He is worthy of your worship and your praise. As God's king, he is worthy of your obedience. That cuts a bit closer to home, doesn't it? When someone says, we know the Christ and it's Jesus. He's worthy of your time, your money, your entire life. Jesus is the one you'll face on judgment day. He's the one who's going to determine your eternal fate. And if you want anything to do with God, you must come through Jesus. Can you see the way it just slowly becomes a bigger and bigger issue that you think this isn't just a truth for someone to believe. If this is true, that impacts my life big time. This news is dynamite. 
So that even from day one, people opposed it. They hated the idea that Jesus is the Christ. So we go on, the next verse says, After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him, to kill Saul. We've got to stop the guy who's telling others that Jesus is the Christ. As time went on, the the message spread further around and it continued to get a mixed reception. Some people rejoiced. This is the truth. This is God's king. This is salvation. Others went on the counter-offensive. Not only do I not want to believe that, they started travelling around and telling others, don't listen to it. It's lies. The Christ has not come. It's certainly not Jesus. These are the people in verse 7 who've gone out into the world. So in this sense, the, the Antichrist there, the deceiver, he's, he's a bit less like this guy. That's kind of your Hollywood or Simpsons Antichrist. He probably looks a bit more like this guy, these guys, this guy, or lady, these guys. <laughs> There's, it's just people. It's just people who don't believe Jesus in the Christ and they want to influence and teach others that know he's not the Christ have that impact upon them. It's not as exciting It's not so good for a Hollywood movie or that sort of thing. But John says it's actually more dangerous. Because if you follow the teaching of these people, look what happens in verse 8. In verse 8 he says, Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. That's an allusion to their bigger salvation picture that they've been labouring for, telling them about the gospel. Don't lose your salvation. In verse 9, Anyone who runs ahead... And does not continue in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. So if you reject Christ, the King, you don't even have God the Father. He's the only way to the Father. But whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So that's his application number one. Watch out for these guys. There are deceivers traveling around in those days trying to take you away from the gospel. And application two, he says, don't just watch out for them. Chuck them out. Look in verse 10. In verse 10 he says, If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching that Jesus is the Christ, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. You're helping to spread their lies. Now in those days, if you wanted to travel around and and preach a message, um, you'd go to a town and you didn't have Airbnb or something just to grab a spot. Uh, You'd need someone to kind of put you up. Uh, you need a bit of food, you need a bit of help. So these visiting preachers, uh, with their deceptive message, would rely on people's hospitality. And John says, don't help them. We don't want the error to spread. Don't put them up. So that's verse 7 to 11. Look out for these deceivers, don't help them. But this raises a question. How exactly do you resist them? When they're coming with this deceitful message, what can you do to make sure you don't get sucked in and deceived. Let's pause here for a second. Turn to your neighbour. It's time to to wake up, to have a chat. Um, Turn to your neighbour. How would you make sure that you aren't sucked in by a deceitful message? I'll give you 30 seconds. Okay, that's long enough. How'd we go? Have we got any brave souls again? What would you do if this message is going out there? How, How do you not be deceived? What can you do? Check it against God's word. Does it stack up? Absolutely, yeah. Is there anything else you can do? 
pray about it. Yeah, ask for God's help so you can see the truth, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I love those answers. That's, that's kind of where my mind went as well. Let's, let's make sure this truth stacks up with other things we know are true. You're kind of doing the, the truth test. What is ultimate truth? Where's your authority for truth? Uh, that sort of thing. Um, and what I love about 2 John is he actually gives us a different answer, one that I wasn't expecting at all. And the logic of verse 7 is key. Verse 7 is like the pivot in John, connecting the two halves together. I'll put it up on the screen. There we go. Verse 7 on the screen. I say this because many deceivers who don't know acknowledge Christ, dot, 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 dot. Because is key there. So far, we've been looking at the second half, haven't we, about the deceivers and their message and what's happening. But the application is actually the first half. He says the first half, why? Because of the problem in the second half. The logic is there are these deceivers, therefore you've got to do what's in verse 4, 5 and 6. And what does he say in those verses? Well, he says if you want to avoid being deceived, it's, it's not even just a matter of knowing the truth, but walking in the truth. He's got this bigger, broader application. Look in verse 4 at what he says. In verse 4 he says, It's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. Now, what's walking? What, what is that word? How do you walk in the truth? It's, it's very much a doing word, isn't it? It's not just um, an intellectual thinking word, but it's, it's a characterization of your life as you go along. He wants the gospel to go in their ear, into their mind, but to work its way down through their hearts to the very extremities of their bodies so that they are living uh, characterized by the fact that Jesus is the Christ. I love this picture for uh, being a Christian today in the, the information age um, because we live in a time of ideas, don't we? We've got access to so much information, to so many ideas. You can Google, YouTube, Wikipedia. Someone said you can Bing something. I've, has anyone Bing things? I don't know if that's... I had to Google it to find out what it means. It's another... <laughs> but we've got so much information. But information's cheap. Ideas are cheap. They need to be acted upon. Remember, Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is the wise person. But whoever does not put them into practice builds their house on sand, waiting for it to get crashed down. You've got to act on it, or it's just information. So your faith that's not going to be deceived, if you don't want to be deceived by error, you've got to act on your faith. Do you, do you drive your car in accordance with the truth that Jesus is the Christ? What does that look like? It has implications. Do you speak encouraging words to others or just think about doing it? Do you change the channel when something is unhelpful on TV or do you just think about it? If, if you only think about these things, Jesus kind of says you're building a house on the sand. You've got to do. You've got to walk. It has to impact your decisions and your life. That's the key. But then John gets even more specific for us and helpful and he says, how do we walk in the truth? Well, the key to walk in the truth is to love one another. Look in verse 5. It says in verse 5, And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. You see, love is our frontline defense against being deceived. Love is key. And for a number of reasons. First of all, Love is directly connected to the truth that Jesus is the Christ. Have you ever thought about this? If there was a different Christ, 
would Christians still love? Picture this. Oh, you don't have to. Let me put a picture up there for you. Look at that. Imagine if that guy was the Christ. Looks kind of impressive, I guess. He looks powerful. He's that, that conquering general type. If that was the Christ and he came just to crush the Romans, then a Christian, one who followed him, would be similar to him. We'd kind of walk in his ways. We'd be on about power and victory and we want swords and maybe some of that six-pack armour. That'd be pretty cool. We could, we could be dominant and, and overpower people. That would be the Christian if that was the Christ. But who is the Christ? It's Jesus of Nazareth. That kind of nobody in the eyes of the world. The humble one who, instead of coming and crushing his enemies with a, a sword or, or something like that, He allowed himself to be crushed, that we could be saved. This truth, the real truth, creates a different Christian. It creates one who doesn't want the power and the swords. We want to serve and to encourage others. We want to lift others up. In a nutshell, we want to love others the way that he's loved us. And so by actively loving, by walking the truth and loving one another... We're actually embedding the truth deeper and deeper into our life so that when a nice idea comes along that might be deceptive, it's got a harder job getting in. But love does more to protect us from being deceived. Love keeps us connected. Connected. Do you know the way cults work? Have you ever had a friend in a cult or maybe you've seen it or been in that sort of thing? One of the ways that cults work is they look for people who are a bit isolated or a bit on their own or a bit vulnerable and they seek to take a controlling influence in someone's life. So they'll look to kind of bring you in um, but slowly tell you to have less and less to do with your friends and your your family and and secrecy is a big part of cults. Uh, They don't want you to tell others what's going on because they want to, over time, control your life. If you stay in loving relationships with others, though, it keeps you connected. It means that if someone's trying to push in with a deceptive teaching, other friends and family around you who love you can see it and say, hang on a sec, what's, what's that person doing? I've noticed it's just a bit weird. What? It opens that conversation. The loving relationship allows others to help you and say, hey, what's going on? Let's talk this through. Genuine churches are on about openness, transparency, uh, in fact, we want you to tell your friends about what we're doing. We'd, we'd love to see the gospel ring out. Come to church, come look, come see what it's like. Uh, very different to a controlling cult. But love is key, staying connected so other people can help. The next thing love does is it keeps us corrected. Corrected. Uh, I don't know if you've got any blind spots. I've got a, a couple. Does anyone have blind spots? Hmm. Do we, yeah, actually that's a hard question. Do we know if we have them? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. It's a hard question. But part of being human, isn't it? We know we've got them, we just don't know where they are. Otherwise we'd, we'd know. And so we actually need each other to correct each other. So maybe I'm listening to a sermon online, I've found a, a new preacher I enjoy to listen to, uh, and they start teaching something that's a bit, bit off or a bit dodgy, but it's right into my blind spot and I don't even realise the problem. And I like it. I enjoy listening to this person. Maybe I think that's okay on my own. But as I bring that to to growth group and start sharing, I've been listening to this and he's talking about this idea and and whatnot. Uh, The loving relationships in growth group or at church or wherever, 
Other people can help us say, hang on a second, is, is that really true? The preacher may say that, but is that what the Bible says? Does that stack up with God's word? Is that consistent with who Jesus is? You can actually help each other uh, to correct and sharpen each other. This is one of the reasons we encouraged uh, Tom and Cinta to go down to, to study face-to-face down in Sydney. Uh, so that instead of um, studying online, which is good, they can actually study in cohorts and groups and build up friendships where they can say to each other, hey, you're going down a funny rabbit hole there, Come up, bring it back. What does the Bible say? So those are the two big things. To avoid being deceived, we walk in the truth by loving each other. That helps us to stay connected and corrected. And the final idea there is that we love each other, obeying God's commands. Look there in verse 6. In verse 6 it says, And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I love that. Does that jump out as a bit odd to you? The two ideas, love and obedience, do they seem like, do they fit quite together? When I read this, I thought, it seems like a bit of a paradox. I think for a lot of people, the idea of love has this freedom to it. Love is just free, whereas obedience is bound. But by freedom, people often mean a a lack of restraint. I can put off my self-control and just let my emotions drive what I do and what I choose. But that's not the love of God, is it? In fact, the Bible warns against that and says, beware of your emotions. You'll have sinful desires and things that are, are not good. Simply letting your desires control you, that's, that's not freedom. That's just back into the slavery that Christ died to bring us from. That's the life that says, uh, anger, I'm going to let my anger control. What's that do for relationship? That's no good. It's going to let my desire or my lust chase uh, kind of express itself. That's not good for relationship either. It has nothing to do with the love of Christ who suffered for us in obedience to his Father's will. Christ calls us to the true freedom of obeying God, the God who knows us better than we do ourselves, the loving God who's characterized by holiness, faithfulness, godliness, and he defines love through loads of commands in the Bible. Honor your parents. Is that a helpful command? Be gentle, parents, with your kids. Gee, that's helpful to know. Comfort and encourage one another. Love doesn't envy, love doesn't boast or rejoice with evil. Rather, love protects, love rejoices with the truth. All of God's commands in some way express his loving character as we treat each other in holiness. That's why Jesus said the greatest command was to love God and love one another. That's what it's about. So that's kind of two John. There's this truth issue. Jesus is the Christ. That's what he wants to to hammer in. Uh, But he's concerned that he doesn't just tell them the truth. He wants to create a community that they love each other, walk in the truth, so that they can express and live out the truth that Jesus is the Christ. Why don't we ask God to, to help us become that sort of group? Let's pray. Um, Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you that you're a God who didn't just stay in heaven and watch on, uh, but a God who walked in love, who came to be amongst us, who came to suffer on the cross for our lack of love and our disobedience, that we could be forgiven and brought into your perfect family. 
Father, help us as a church to grow in this, to grow in loving each other, caring for each other, uh, and building our whole lives on the truth that Jesus is the Christ. Amen.